This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. All right, let's uh, get into our Bibles. If you don't have one, there should be one in front of you, and we're going to continue in the book of Acts in chapter 18, starting in verse 1 through 17. So again, that's Acts 18, verse 1 through 17. So after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together. Did I say that right? No. Believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Thanks, Brad. So this is uh, Walter Orthman. I'm going to show you his picture this morning. Uh, He has the world record for longest tenure at any company in the world. Uh, He has been employed with Renew uh, in uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil for 84 years. (laughs) The dude's over 100 years old, obviously, and has been at the same company for 84 years. Uh, Now, that doesn't just happen. Uh, There's some things you have to have in place to have that kind of longevity and tenure in one position, in one company. 
And, uh, um, you know, there's something to be said about uh, moving on, but there's also something to be said about stick to and commitment and leaning in. Paul in our text here is just really interesting. I think when we read Paul, we imagine like he went from place to place to place, maybe staying a day or two, maybe a week, perhaps a month at a place, and then he moves on and on. And uh, there are times when that was true, but uh, really a lot of the time when Paul was going to a place, he was staying for a while. And now here, as we begin to enter into the last portion of his ministry, we see Paul staying places longer. And here in Corinth, you probably noticed this in uh, the scripture, that he stayed there, in, uh, verse number 11 says, uh, a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. We're going to see in a few chapters here, when he gets to Ephesus, he stays at Ephesus for two years reasoning with the Jews. And we don't know much about this kind of tenure and stick-to-itiveness and commitment in our day and age. Do you know that the average tenure in a company is 4.1 years? So when you got a guy like Walter who stayed 84, that's, that's incredible. But I want to say to you, there is something really important, really special about being at a place for a long time and ministering to a people for a long time. In fact, I'll say it this way, spiritual impact is accumulative. Do you know what I mean by that? Like you impact and you impact and you impact and you impact. And the biggest impact in ministry only comes after a lot of long suffering. So now, listen, I, I have not been in one place for, this is the longest I've been anywhere, it's 10 years. And there are truths about God moving you and letting you know it's time to move on and seek other places. And we'll see that in the text. But uh, this morning, I want to challenge us to be committed to one another because, yeah, it's me ministering, it's pastors ministering, but uh, you minister to one another. In fact, Ephesians 4 says that my job is to equip you for the work of the ministry. And you minister to each other. Would you look at your neighbor and say, I minister to you? Unless it's your wife, then don't do that. Um, no, especially if it's your wife, then do that. And just as pastors can lean in and be there for the long haul, man, we need to be committed to the long haul for one another. So I'm going to challenge you with this big idea. Big idea is this. Uh, let's stay committed to one another. Let's stay committed to one another. And I think there's an awesome example here, Paul, in this text. I want to lean in on this and kind of pull from this kind of four needs, four essential elements that we should have a part of our life if we're going to stick with it and stick in ministry and stick together for the long haul. Four different needs. Here's the first one. You can write it down. Uh, we need people. We need people. We need others around us. So let's go to the text here again, and you're in uh, Acts chapter 18, and verse number one, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and here it is, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius has commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. So here's Paul now, in the first introduction of this couple, uh, Aquila and Priscilla, and what we're going to see is they become a really important part of Paul's life and Paul's ministry, really from here on out. Uh, next week, as Ethan comes and preaches, he's going to talk more about how they actually confront someone about Bible teaching and, and they're having the right doctrine, so they were well-versed in doctrine, but we see them all throughout Paul's life. In fact, this is from Romans chapter 16, verses 3 and 4. 
greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches and the Gentiles give thanks as well. Faithful servants with Paul. And this is how Paul ministered, right? You see it all throughout his ministry. So who was first? It was Paul and Barnabas first, right? And then it becomes Paul and Silas. And then it becomes Paul and Silas and Timothy. And here we have Paul and Aquila and Priscilla. And this is just very common for Paul. I think it's interesting how there are different seasons of Paul's life in different groups of people. Haven't you found that to be true for your life? You're like different seasons or different people around you doing ministry with you. But whatever he is, Paul always has someone with him. And it seems to be the pattern all throughout the New Testament. I mean, even Jesus had people around him ministering with him. And there's something really important about doing the ministry together. I could preach a lot about this because the New Testament is really filled with this concept that the Christian life is one to be lived together. Like we could go to passages that seem to be talking to just individuals, but when you get to the Greek, it's plural. It's a group of people to lean in and consider. And it's not just a New Testament principle. We have this from Ecclesiastes. Uh, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. By the way, I have a really good suspenders joke uh, that I could tell you sometime with this text. Anyway, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. This really is a together thing, and we should be seeking that in your own life. And like, how does that look? Because I don't know, man, somewhere along the way in Western culture, Western community, it became a whole lot more about going alone and, you know, to, you know like Rambo. And, and maybe it started with, I don't know, the Lone Ranger. But these were the guys that like, you know, they could stand up to an army all by themselves and we think that's cool or something. And so we think that, yeah, I'm going to go it alone. I'm just going to be me against the world. And I want to challenge you that that's not a biblical principle at all. God wants you to do the Christian life and to work in ministry with other people beside you. In fact, the Bible says this in Hebrews 10, and let us, not, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. This is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Man, this word is really, this text here, this verse is really packed with a lot of meaning. That word, uh, consider one another, is like closely investigating. It's used when they would investigate pottery before they bought it. And other Greeks have used it this way. And they're just putting this up to the sun and holding it and looking closely. And this is how we're to be with one another. But I'm telling you, your natural tendency is to do it alone, to be private, to not let anybody in. Now, some of that is a result of hurt that some of you have experienced. Am I right? Some of you have been hurt by other people, other Christians. And so the thought of then opening your heart up again and being involved again is a scary, scary thing. But I wanna encourage you, God's word would have us do this together. Man, I wish we had some part of our ministry where we did life together. 
I wish there was some program or element at redemption where we gave you guys the opportunity to build close relationships and to do life with one another. Of course, I'm being facetious. I'm talking about small groups. Uh, and if you're not in a small group, uh, it's time, right? It's time to get yourself into a small group. And uh, I am in a small group. In fact, if you're a small group, who's in my small group here today? I got the Duncans right here, and I got uh, McCowns in my small group, and uh, the, yeah, Wes and, and uh, Ethan, not Ethan, yeah, you, you weren't there, but Darren and I, we played some disc golf, and I beat them both. I mean, it was crazy. How, I did not, though. Uh, I lost so badly. Uh, but, you know, we're doing life together. This is what, this is what we do. We do this small groups. It's a place where you can come and you can just do life with other people. And you get to know them and they get to know you. So, listen, man, if you're not in a small group, let's get you in a small group. You can just fill out your visitor card and you can say, okay, if you've been here for five years and you're not in a small group, you can say, okay, I want to get into a small group. Fill that out. Let us know. We'll get you there. Now, if you are in a small group but you're not committed to that small group, can I encourage you to get committed to that small group? Make it a priority. Do life with each other. I don't know what I would do without my small group guys. I don't know what I would do with other people who pray for me, keep me accountable, lean in on me. And it's hard for a pastor to come to a group of guys in your church and say, all right, here's where I'm struggling, uh, but I, I need to, and I need to have that, and we need to have that in our lives. Great. We need people. Everyone say that. Not only that, we need faithfulness. We need faithfulness. So back to the text, so I want to take a look at verse number three in the text. So this is uh, verse number three. And because he uh, was uh, one of, of the same trade, so we get to verse one, two, because of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And then look at verse number four. So verse number three, he worked as a tent maker. You got that? So he's working a regular job as a tent maker. I'll talk more about that in a minute. But also in verse number four, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. All right, so I want to point out two different ways in which Paul is faithfulness. Now listen, faithfulness and tenure, faithfulness and commitment really go hand in hand. The essence of commitment is faithfulness. Doing it for a long time, doing it through the hard times. Just keep at it in two ways. First of all, Paul was faithful in his work. He was faithful in his work. Now, it was very common when a young man or child was being raised up to be a Pharisee, as Paul was, that he would also learn an additional trade. So yes, Paul grew up at the feet of the best of the best, Gamaliel. He was at the feet of uh, the best uh, Bible scholars, uh, Old Testament scholars of his day. But also alongside that, he learned a trade. And the trade that he learned was uh, fabric weaving, more than likely tent making. Now, that was very uh, important in that day. Like today, if you wanted to go and visit Cleveland, what you would do, is, and by the way, why would you visit Cleveland? But if you were to go visit Cleveland, what did that come to mind? Maybe Chicago or wherever, and what you're going to do is you're going to you know, get a hotel and you're going to go visit them or get an Airbnb or something before you go and visit them. Well, they didn't have hotels like we have them today. It's not nearly as prevalent. So to do any traveling, what you would do is you would spend some money and you would buy a tent. And a, these are elaborate tents, massive tents. And so tent making was a very 
profitable um, job to have and uh, very prestigious uh, even. And so uh, that's what Paul did. He learned this job. And what's really interesting here is that uh, we have Paul um, doing this to support his ministry. Again, I think we imagine Paul as like a full-time missionary, and there are seasons of his life when he was a full-time missionary. But at this season, he had another job to supplement his ministry. He had a nine-to-five. He worked. You see how it said on the Sabbath he would go to the synagogue? Chances are most of the other time he was actually working. So in other words, Paul looked more like the people in the pew today at times than he did the people in the pulpit who are full-time ministry. So he had to learn that balance of work life and home life, but he was also faithful to his ministry. Paul was faithful to his work. Paul was faithful in his ministry because you see this in uh, chapter, uh, sorry, verse number four. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath. See, Paul lived his life as a tent maker, worked faithfully as a tent maker, but he never, ever lost sight of the mission to Spread the gospel to be a witness of Jesus in Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world, which is primarily Paul's job. And he was always thinking, yes, I'm working my job as a tent maker, but man, I also have a ministry that God has called me to. And, and that balance Paul never lost sight of. In fact, what we have in the Bible is a lot of in, instruction on how to find that balance right. So um, here is uh, Paul to the church in Colossae. Now, he's going to mention bond servants, and uh, we don't have like bond servants like this today, but if you were to find the, the equivalent of that, it is actually an employee of an employer. Where you're coming in and you're kind of swearing your allegiance to this company at least for a season as you work, and they're going to care for your livelihood by paying you. So it's really the closest equivalent we have in our day. And here's what Paul says to that. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye... Now, this is so important, guys. Check this out. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Check this out now. Whatever you do, work heartily. Ask for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance of your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. That's awesome. If you've got a regular job out there, you know, uh, this is a verse for you to write down, to memorize, to have on your heart as you do your job. And I get what that's like, actually, because uh, all along in uh, my ministry, at least a lot of it, I've also done other work. Like currently, right now, uh, even though I pastor, I also teach computer classes. And so I have, when I, I'm not working here, and I only do it a couple days a month, but I'll go out and I'll teach for a company, Mapletronics. And I teach, you know, Excel and PowerPoint, well, mostly Excel and other things, but um, Teams nowadays. But I understand how when you're doing that kind of work, it doesn't feel like it matters much. Guys, uh, two weeks ago, I was teaching Microsoft Excel to a class of old order Amish. I kid you not, they were all 
in very much their Amish garb, and you know, they use them when they go to work. They don't bring them home, they're not in their home. So, by the way, one of the, I'm not kidding either. One of the sharpest computer classes I've ever had in my existence was this computer class. These guys were sharp and they were on it. But you talk about, like, is this really, like, where's this going to go? Like, you know, like, what's this, what's, what's this going to matter in 15 years? And even when I'm teaching, like, I, I had a chance to teach the top guy at AM General, the general of AM General years ago. And even that kind of feels like, okay, so great, now he knows how to use Excel better. Like, who cares? But according to this text, according to Paul, to to the church in Colossae, who was I serving when I was teaching the Amish? Who was I serving when I was teaching the general? Who was I serving? The Lord. The Lord. I think this is key. Because Yes, in ministry, I'm serving the Lord, but yes, in my job, I'm serving the Lord. And if I can get Jesus as my focus, if I can get the Lord on my heart and wanting to please him, well, that's where the faithfulness, that's where the commitment, the stick-to-itiveness will come from. I'm doing this for the Lord. Important things to keep in mind as we're trying to be faithful to this. Now, Paul said this to the church in Thessalonica in uh, chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Now concerning brotherly love, this is awesome now, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. To pause for a second. Y'all good with that? How should we treat one another with Awesome. Uh, in the church, can I get a witness? Uh, how about the workplace? How about that really irritating dude that sits in that cubicle and just is, you, every time he walks down, you're like, oh man, I gotta go, you know, and try to find another, right? That guy. I have none of those in my office, just so you know, by the way. Love, 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 to, to love. Now, check this out, verse number 10. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, do not uh, do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, Karen, and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Now, why? So that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. There's just a, this is how we live out our missions. This is how we live out our mission. And I want to remind you again, this is really important. Faithfulness comes with focus. Faithfulness comes with focus. To be faithful, we need to get our hearts and minds focused on Jesus wherever we are and whatever we are doing. So key question for you here is this. What are some ways you can remind yourself that you work for Jesus? And uh, if I can give you one kind of indication from the text that how Paul stayed focused, I want your eyes to fall in verse number five. And what does it say he was doing in verse number five? Can you check this out with me? So verse number five says this, when uh, Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, check this out, Paul was occupied with the... Now, some of you may have spirit there, depending on the... Um, uh, translation that you have, because there's a, a textual discrepancy. Some have spirit, some have word. It seems pretty, uh, the majority text, the, probably the one that's most accurate, has the word word there, and it really makes most sense in context. And we see that definitely later in verse number 11 when he stayed and he's teaching the word. And, and how do we keep Jesus in front of us? I want to just really, 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 really encourage you. 
make consistent time with the Lord and his word. And I mean this, like I, I, I can't tell you how much that personal daily time in the word has just reminded me of the presence of Jesus in my life. I mean, it happens all the time where I'll read something, I'll be like, that is incredible, that is incredible. And I could sit here and show just from yesterday and today, preach sermons on the things that God showed me in his word. But it was like God just showing up and, and Jesus and Jamie time is just so, so precious. So if I can encourage you to do that, man, let's, let's get into the word. Things we need to have longevity uh, with each other. We need people. You need help. You need others around you encouraging you to stay with it, stick with it. You need faithfulness, commitment. I would say to word, to ministry, or to work, to ministry. And then and there's this. I want you to write this down as well. We need wisdom. We need wisdom. Well, where in the world are you getting that, Pastor? Well, good question. Let's take a look here at a text again. And I want you to see this. What happens next is really interesting. So you have Paul, and he's ministering to these folks. And uh, so we made it all the way through verse number five. Now we're in verse number six. And I want you to see this. And when they, so he's ministering the word to them, ministering the word to them. Verse number six, and when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. For now, I will go on to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius, Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Now that just seems a little bit contrary to the thing I've been telling you all day. Stick with it, stick with it, stick with it. But here's Paul saying, okay, I am done. And the wording is really interesting. Your own blood be upon your heads. And he claims that he is what? He's innocent. Our job, listen carefully now, our job is not to convert the soul. Because you don't have that kind of power, and neither do I. Our job is to be faithful in the sowing. If something's about to blow up, someone will tell me right here, beeping. If there's like a bomb going off, someone will tell me, I hope. But there is, there is a, 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 um, a guilt that will heap on ourselves when people don't respond well to our teaching of the word to them. And there is an element where we got to be faithful, and we got to do it, and we got to do it, and we got to do it. But are there times? Is it okay from time to time to walk away, to say, "Okay, not here, not anymore"? And, and is it okay sometimes to say, "I'm done here"? And well, let's look at the Bible a little bit, and we see some really interesting things. Like, check this out in Proverbs, and this, these two verses come back to back in the book of Proverbs. It says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And the next verse says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest be wise in his own eyes. Okay, so do we answer a fool or do we not answer a fool? What's the answer, church? Yes. <laughs> and how do you know? And, and what do you need? Well, I think there's some wisdom involved. And I think that comes through study. I think it comes through prayer. Listen, I think it comes through the leading of the Holy Spirit in those moments. Paul 
Paul gives us some instruction, some indication about how to apply that wisdom when he teaches Titus this in Titus chapter 3. He says, as for the person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. We could have gone to Matthew 18, where if he sins, you send someone, you and him alone, and if he doesn't hear you, you take others with him, and doesn't hear them, you take them for the church. If he doesn't hear the church, and you cast him out like a tax collector and a sinner, and there is a time when it's okay uh, to walk away. There is. And wisdom will tell you that. I think another way to gain wisdom, not only from the teaching of Paul, but also from the teaching of Jesus. This will help. Look at this. This is a John, a John chapter 4, verse 35. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you. Check this out. This is incredible. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. All right, church, what does this teach us? There are people all around us who are ready to receive the gospel. But very often, it's not those people that we're trying to share the gospel with. We're trying to share the gospel with my rich uncle Joe. Actually, I do have an uncle Joe. I bet you a different name. Uh, and he ain't rich. My, uh, uh, my uncle Mortimer, uh, who is fat and happy, he's got lots of money, and he's an atheist, and he hates Jesus, but life's going pretty well for him, and we'll share, and we'll share, and we'll share, and we'll share, and there is a time to say, eh, I'm kind of done. So, so let's, let's do a little quiz here. Um, am I, I'm not a farmer. I know that probably surprises a lot of you, um, but uh, I did do a garden for a while, and, and you can help me out here. Uh, so which of these tomatoes are ready to pick? Okay. If you like fried green tomatoes, I get it. Every illustration breaks down. I get it. But uh, yeah, it's the red ripe tomatoes that are the ones that are ready for picking. And I think very often what we're doing is we're trying to pick fruit that's not yet ready to be picked. And if you do that for a long time, forget about sticking with it. That gets frustrating really quick. And Jesus said, lift up your eyes, lift up your eyes. The fields are ripe unto harvest. So the question is, who did Jesus minister to? Tax collectors, sinners. Jesus uh, found the, uh, the woman who had a, the issue of blood, found him, he ministered to her. It was the guy whose kid was sick. It was the people who were coming out from under rocks. It was the people who had really struggled in life and they, they're at the end of their rope. And, and are those kind of people all around us in Fort Wayne? Do you know some of those? And I'm wondering if the people we should be looking for, the people that are going through that traumatic divorce, that loss of a job, that difficult situation, that are hurting, that are desperate, that need something, and those are the people we should be going to to share the gospel because that's, that's, they're, they're ripe. There is a ripeness to harvest. If we spend ministry working with people who constantly reject, man, it's gonna get old quick. But maybe, maybe we can go to those who have a greater need, who are more ready to hear it and share the Lord with them. We need some wisdom and we need to pray and ask God. And this is, I think it's a good prayer to, to ask God to lift up my eyes. You know what I'm saying with that? 
I think it's a good prayer to, to, as I'm living my life, if I want to balance that work and that ministry together, I think it's a good prayer to come to the Lord and say, God, help me to lift up my eyes. Would you lift up my eyes so I can see those who are in need? Show me those who are in need. Church, if we're going to stick with it, we need people around us. We need faithfulness. We need wisdom. But of all the things I share today, this is by far, by far, the most important. So please write this down. We need the Lord. I love this story. And I love what happens here in verse number nine. So here's Paul, gotten some rejection, but after, I mean, there's some significant uh, fruit that is happening in uh, the text here. And now verse number nine says this, and the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. God shows up to Paul. He appears to Paul in a vision. And he meets with Paul. And he speaks with Paul. And he says to Paul, I love this promise. Did you see it there? I am with you. I am with you. It's the same promise he said to the disciples as he sent them out, the Great Commission, lo, I am, church, with you, even to the end of the age. I feel pretty strongly about this. I'm going to say it real uh, boldly. We way underestimate how much we need Jesus. Way. And when I say we... I mean pastors. And when I say we, I mean all Christians. Way underestimate how much we need Jesus. Have you guys um, listened to this uh, podcast, The Rise and Fall of Marcel? Uh, I've, I've been listening to it. Um, listened the whole way through. I, I put it off for a long time. And if you know our story, uh, that's because it's really, really rings personal. You know, we planted out of an organization where the leader had a very, very similar trajectory. There could easily be a Rise and Fall of Harvest Bible Fellowship uh, podcast where similar things would be said. And so uh, that kind of leader falling, that kind of ministry is just really, really, or that kind of ministry failure, I should say, is really, really painful. So I put it off for a long time, but I did pick it up and listen to it, and I was so, so encouraged along the way, as I did. Uh, and I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just so over big-name celebrity pastors falling to sin, right? And I'm just over it. I hate it. I hate it so bad. And um, here's the reality. I never want that to be me. No, I'm, I don't, I'm not a big-name celebrity pastor. I never want to be a big-name celebrity pastor. I don't want to fall like that. Because I could. And the very last thing that I should assume is that I'm better than, or smarter than, or stronger than, because I'm not. And pastors fall all the time. Now, I want to say to you, to encourage you a little bit, there are hundreds of pastors that don't fall, and you never hear about them because they're faithful in ministry. 
You'll never hear about Jeff Pernsteiner, one of my best friends who's pastoring in Clarkson, Washington. You'll never hear about Doug Long in Traverse City or Nate Davis in Cambridge, Ohio, or Josh Nipp in Bloomington, Indiana, one of my best friends who loves God desperately and is serving the Lord, or a Chase Ringler at a Boyd Baptist Church here in Fort Wayne, or Phil Knuth, who's just right down the road from us, whose daughter has massive medical issues. He remains faithful and serves the Lord through it all. And what's the difference? Well, in the last episode of The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, um, there was an uh, interview uh, with Tim Keller. Now, I know when I say the name Tim Keller, probably there's some red flags that I might raise. And listen, he's earned some of that. I get it. I'm, I get all that. And uh, there's hardly a name I can put up here that I don't disagree with in some regard. In fact, if I put some of my quotes from 10 years ago, I probably don't agree with me all the time either, right? Uh, but all that to say, uh, this was good. And uh, Mike Hosper asked Tim Keller, okay, you've been at this a long time. Like, what's your secret? Like, how have you stayed long-term? Like, what can you tell these guys? And his answer was simple and beautiful. He says, well, prayer. And then he said, here's why. The purpose of prayer is to have the, uh, it's to have to actually love the Lord. I'm not reading that right, but the love of God shed abroad in your heart. It means to actually have it, to see his face, to actually sense the grace of God. There has to be a genuine experiential life. Like this is all about me and Jesus. And if I don't have times in my life where I'm experiencing the Lord in my life, that's a problem. Tim Keller goes on to say, we need to find our besetting sins, I love this, then apply Jesus to them. Some questions here. How does looking at Jesus weaken those desires in my heart? Considering who Jesus is and what he has done, how does that weaken this inordinate desire in my heart? How does it reorder the loves of my heart? And this is it. This is the secret, man. Falling deeply in love with Jesus and looking at Jesus and feeling his presence and being near the Lord. And it's so easy in the pastoral ministry, to be doing a lot of good things for Jesus, but not with Jesus. And pray for your pastor. But is it just pastors that fall? Listen now. It's not just pastors that fall into damaging sin. Your fall would damage those who love you dearly. And my passion for you, for all of us, is to be near Jesus, to dwell with Jesus, to, as he said, to abide in Jesus. And if you want to stay at this for a long time, man, you've got to be fostering that love relationship with Jesus. Because we way underestimate our need for the Lord. Can I get a witness? So we're gonna end today with a song. It's a song of confession. It's a song of prayer. But this is a response that I want you to have to the study in the word today is to say, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. 
So Father, hear this song, hear this prayer. Let it be a confession from our hearts, but also, Father, a passionate plea. Because Lord, I can't keep me close to you. I'm not strong enough. I'm weak, I'm failing, I'm, I need your grace and your mercy, so my prayer is that you would keep me close to you. And I'm just gonna confess that I need you and ask you to do it. And Lord, I pray for the people that are here at Redemption that we would all come and just offer this prayer up to you to say, Lord, help me, help me, help me. And so God, I just ask this and just be with us as we sing this song to you in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, shall we?